You're listening to the Pure Fury Creations Entertainment Network. The views and opinions expressed on this episode are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or philosophies of the PFC Entertainment Network or any of the affiliates that make this show possible. This show has also been rated M for mature audiences only. Bueller. Bueller. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious... Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. Now don't call me Shirley. Nobody can stay here. I'll be back. Wax on. Wax off. Go ahead. Make my day. Sweep the leg. Here, here. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. This is Power Trippin' Through the 80s with Jason Klaus and Sean Grugel on the PFC Entertainment Network. Hello everybody, welcome to Power Trippin' Through the 80s here on the PFC Entertainment Network. Along with Sean Grugel, I'm Jason Klaus. We certainly appreciate you tuning in this week as we do each and every week here. Um, full disclosure, we've sat here, we've... <laughs> We've been on the call for almost a half an hour. We started, well, I hit the record button about six minutes ago, but we're just now getting this thing going because of our sidebars and things of this nature. Sean, I kind of feel like we need to start setting up like cameras, like behind the scenes cameras, like one here, one there. And if people could see, the obnoxiousness that goes on <laughs> between you and I, um, that could that could create a whole nother layer of content, I feel like, especially in the video realm. Um, I think that would really swerve people's perception of us <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I think that's, that's the beautiful part about it, is they have an idea of one, th- you know, one version of us. But if they really saw what makes us tick, and I'm not suggesting like we let them in on like personal conversations or things of this nature, either serious or not so serious ones, but personal conversations that don't make the air. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I just feel like it would, uh, yeah, it would change p- people's per- perceptions of us, perhaps. However, I feel like for another kind c- c- another contingent of our fan base, they might have a better appreciation for us because we're pretty entertaining people. Hey, man, you know, generally what you hear on this show is generally who we are. But at the same time, God built this face for radio and not video. So we don't want to scare away half of our listeners. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's funny because uh, our colleague, 
here on the network. Uh, and the newest member of of our family here, Kristen Watt, has really wanted to incorporate video production, video presentations for her shows. And we've started doing that. And uh, and of course, it comes to it comes back around. Uh, they're like, hey, when are you going to start doing video for all of your shows, specifically this one? And I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we you know, could go that route. However, <laughs> I'm much like you work at home people. You know, sometimes I'm sitting here in my BVDs. Well, no, I'm lying. My Fruit of the Looms. And, yeah, like, uh, oh, you bullshit. Yeah, You're a you, fruit of the loom guy. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all don't want to see this. So trust me on that. If you really want to see what I look like, you always got three-minute nostalgia. The last couple episodes still turned into like eight minutes nostalgia because, you know, I had a special guest on there with Can't me. Can't imagine why. <laughs> and then Sharon and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Sharon and I have just started doing unboxings. Uh, I, I we For some reason, we called it Dinner Date with Sean and Sharon. And we started getting these snack crates. And we started doing these unboxing videos because that seems to be the flavor of the day. No pun intended. Right. And uh, we're getting these snack crates from all over the world. And let me tell you something, man. Some of this shit these people are putting in their mouths, I have no idea how they're eating. That's why they're so skinny in Thailand and Japan and China is because they can't eat this shit because it's inedible. So, I appreciated the unboxing videos. I wasn't really sure. Like you had made mention of it that you were getting these boxes, and um, I saw the first one, and I was impressed that you were able to get your wife on board and to sit down in front of a camera. But that's another layer of her busting out of her shell. So I thought it was very cool to sit there and because I, I I watched the first one. I haven't watched the second one yet, but I watched the first one and I was like, for your first time out, for her first time out doing something like this, I'm like, there's something here. There is <laughs> something here. And I like I said, I haven't watched the second one yet, but I'm going to. I think it's very cool. I think it's awesome that you incorporated your wife into it and that she is a willing pr participant to, to be a part of this. So I'm, I'm looking forward to more of these because there were a couple of things that, that you guys tried in, in that first one. And, uh, <laughs> just, like Sharon no sells it. Whereas you, like, as, soon as, <laughs> as soon as it goes, you're like, what the fuck is this man? Oh man. I'm, so, so like, okay. So if you haven't watched the newest video, they sent cucumber-flavored Lay's potato chips. Absolutely, by far, the worst shit I have ever put in my mouth. I had to pause the video. I had to go throw up. I had to gargle. I mean, that's <laughs> Number one, who mixes vegetables with vegetables? I mean, yeah, I get sour cream and onion chips, but cucumber-flavored potato chips? Get out of here with that bullshit. No, we don't want cucumber-flavored potato chips. Yeah, you know, you start seeing... There's a lot of these potato chips that are coming out with different flavors, and they're merging with different, you know, companies and things of this nature. It's like, just leave it alone. Like, who's buying this shit, right? Right. Um, 
Now, of, of the two things, of the two unboxings that you've done, has there been anything that you would actually go out and buy if it was available on its own? Not a single damn thing so far. I, I, I mean, ugh. actually, no. You know what? There was strawberry strawberry flavored Oreos in the first one. Yeah, with 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 the pink icing in there, right? Right. Now, going. That, that was that was pretty. Yeah, you know what? No, I wouldn't go out specifically to buy those. There's not enough of that cream filling in the middle of those to satisfy a fat guy like me. So, <laughs> and Scotty Freytown, I'll call you back in a minute. So. Oh yeah. Oh well, it's a big so. it's a big day here around these parts. Um, you know, as we're recording this, we're actually recording this on Monday, uh, September the fourth, and it is Labor Day as we're recording this. Which just goes to show, as a sidebar, our commitment to our fans to where we are taking Labor Day and doing the damn work so that we provide you the weekly dose of entertainment that our fans have come accustomed to. But, more importantly than that, it's a big day around PFC land because it's my tag team partner, it's my my best friend, it's my co-host's birthday today, so... uh Happy birthday, Mr. Grugel. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. You, uh, Yeah, definitely a level of dedication here. Because let me tell you something. <laughs> yeah, I was born on September 4th. You know, you would like to think that when you're born, that your parents, they're in love. They're, they want to have a family, this, that, and the other. Go back nine months, you're going to find out that my parents... They were drunk on New Year's Eve, and whoops, they had me. So here I am, the biggest mistake that happened to them in 50 years. <laughs> so love you, Mom and Dad. Oh, by the way, Jason, mm. happy anniversary. Thank you. In three days, September 7th, it was the debut of the first Power Trippin' Through the 80s show. It was. Yeah. So. Imagine that, dude. It, like it flew by too. Like I was writing down the, uh, you know, the notes and shit coming into the show today. We're on episode forty-five, and seems like it was just the other day we launched this show, or that we were even just talking about launching this show. And here we are, forty-five episode, forty-four episodes later, and it's like, man. This is when you know you capture that lightning in a bottle because, you know, they say you, you know, time flies when you're having fun. Well, you know, that this last year has really flown by because of all the fun that, that we've had. We've had laughs. We've, you know, we've cried. We've been pissed off. We, you know, but at, at the same time, we're talking about something that really means something to us um, with this decade. But I think it also... And I think this is part of the charm and, and the appeal of the show is it's allowed me to get a better understanding of you and vice versa, because we didn't grow up together. You no. were in you were in one part of Michigan and I was in, in, in another one. But as we have told our individual stories, there's a lot of correlation. There's a lot of the same things that were happening. And I think that's why. You know, our bond, that's part of the reason why our bond is as tight as it is. I mean, 
you know, I'm not going to pull the curtain all the way back here this week. There will be a time where, where that happens here sooner rather than later. But like our friendship, you know, it started out in a very professional realm in, in wrestling. Um, it has materialized and, and continued to, to grow to what it is on a personal level. Like this past week, you were a part of the most significant day of my life. And like, and that was a very, very exclusive group of people on that particular day. It was a given that you were going to be a part of that. So I forgot where exactly where I was going with this. But <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, you know, we all oh, we were talking about anniversaries and, and things of this nature, but. You know, it's it's things like that that puts things like this friendship and and things on full display, and it's one of the it's one of the most important aspects of my life. And the fact that we're we're able to come in here every week and do this show, regardless of what topic that 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 we're talking about, I know going into it, hey, I get to spend this block of time with with my buddy Sean and. The rest of the world can fuck off for about an hour and a half or so. So it's kind of where I'm at. Scotty Freytown, I'm not calling you back during the show. I'm not answering your call. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, happy birthday, old man. Because, like, I'm old and shit. But you know what? Still whoop his ass. So. You want, do you want me to call Do you want me to call him back on the air? No. <laughs> like, why the fuck are you trying to call him when I'm trying to do a show with him? What, what, what are we doing right now? Uh, you got the ability to pipe the phone call through. I can put it on speaker and have, and it will come through through my microphone. You want me to take care of this, or you want? <laughs> you... Wait a minute. You know something though, he'll never be able to hear you because of the headphones and vice versa. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. All right. Well, fuck off, Scott. We're <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to get a cheap plug in real quick before we really get into the show. Yes. So as people may or may not know, uh, <laughs> the power tripping through the ABs, ABs, what the hell was that? Power tripping through the 80s eBay account, I have kind of shut it down. Uh, eBay fees were getting a little out. <laughs> All right. Well, let me give you an example. I sold a Madden football uh, Sega CD game for over $16, right? By the time after all the fees and everything were said and done, I made six bucks off the thing. Mm. That's not, well, I made six bucks because it was given to me for free. But when you're talking $16 and you only get six, you're talking over 50% in fees. So I killed that. And I have opened my own, what do you want to call it? Booth, sales booth at Holly Antiques in downtown Holly. And I'm calling it the Time Traveler's Toy Box. And a portion of those proceeds will be going to getting that call out from Ballsack the Mighty from the band Guar. So, hey, uh, what if that takes off? What what if your booth, or the, for the lack of a better term, what if that starts to become something? Is that something that you've ever had aspirations about opening your own nostalgia store of of sorts? It's funny you ask that because I haven't thought about that until the last year or two, how that could be a thing. Uh, 
I'm and I'm gonna go ahead and say it here. I'm envious of Tim Williams. Mm-hmm. I'm envious of uh, Jones, uh, Andrew Jones, Andrew Jones, and his son Connor Jones having their own toy store. But you're right. I would like to open a nostalgia store, not just selling toys, but items like from the '80s. You know, um, I would like you to walk into it and be greeted in, in a TV in the front with a Max Headroom type character welcoming <laughs> you to the store. Um, Max Headroom. Yeah. Is oh. something we haven't done a deep dive on. I mean, we've made mention of it, but man, oh man, what a show ahead of its time. Oh yeah, I like one of my favorite scenes, and the the name of the store should tell you, you know, exactly where I'm going with this. I call it Time Traveler's Toy Box. So obviously, it's Back to the Future reference. And when he walks into the cafe '80s, and I believe it's in Back to the Future too. And yeah. you're greeted with the video screens of, you know, very prominent 80s figures. Michael Jackson, Ronald Reagan, I think the Ayatollah, yeah. a few others. <laughs> you know, that that is exactly what I would like to do. Um, not in Holly. I wouldn't do it in Holly. I, I would like to do it in a more urban location, you know. But, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. If it takes off, who knows what will happen. Maybe, maybe I'll have an empty... Nerd cave because everything will be for sale. We'll have to see. So, I love that. I I, I love that idea. And because uh, I, when I was a kid, well, when we when we were kids, video stores were a big damn deal. Like you, they were all over the place, and we had assembled such a collection of movies on VHS and things of this nature. I'm like. We could open up our own our own video store, and in fact, I started like a little rental gimmick thing in our neighborhood because we had so many movies. And I'm like, I'm going to open up a video store one day. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't invest all my life savings into that concept, but you know, be it as it may, I had aspirations of having a video store because I love the movies, and I just. You know, the whole concept of going to the video store to rent a movie to take home to watch with with your family was a big damn deal back then. You know, that would be kind of a cool idea to incorporate into the store, <laughs> the nostalgia store, a rental section. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even go so far as to rent laser disc players and laser discs and go back to the old media, Betamax. You know, holy shit. That was the first one we, we had was was a was a Betamax player. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. One of the very first movies we ever rented, and because my dad didn't know what the hell it was, it was Porky's on Laserdisc. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, come get it well, at Porky's. <laughs> the show. That's right. <clears throat> hey, would you believe I found a list? Yeah. Oh, maybe. Maybe we should explain why we're doing the list first, and then um, get into the list. Yeah. Listen, if you've listened to the show the last couple of weeks, we've made mention that we have had the intention of covering a pretty heavy topic in the AIDS epidemic. I started some research this weekend, as I told Sean before we came on the air, and I got like a half an hour in into my research, and I became so depressed 
and so sad about what I was reading because it started diving into Ryan White's story. If you don't know who Ryan White is or was, he is he was a one of the prominent figures in this epidemic. And he was a young kid that contracted the virus. It eventually killed him, but he it really put him in a global spotlight. He was like one of the faces of this disease. Now I got in into the research and I started watching like old interviews and shit with him. And like, I got very emotional. I got very, uh, all up in, in the fields and, and it clicked right down. Like, man, I have got to be in a certain mindset to really dive into this topic and to do it justice because I don't want anything that Sean and I to do to come across as half-assed. If we are committed to something, we are all in on something. Um, oh, that almost took me on, on a sidebar. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's why we're not doing it this week because it is going to take a certain mindset, a certain, um, you know, it, it's a very, very heavy topic. And like going through it in real time as we were kids was one thing, but going back and reading it and seeing what was really happening is something totally different. So yes, we are going to tackle this. We are going to, but I want it to be done the right way. And I want those who listen to to know that this is not something that we take lightly at all because of just the seriousness of the situation. So, and like you were saying, Sean, people tune into this because this is kind of like their, their let me up hour of, of the week. You know what I mean? They come here, they know we're, there's going to be banter back and forth. We're going to be joking and laughing and things of this nature. There ain't nothing fucking funny about AIDS at all. There is nothing about that that we can make a joke at. And anybody that does make jokes at that expense, there's something wrong with your wiring. Because this is something very serious. So yes, it is It is still a thing. I have started taking notes so that when I am done with, with my research, and when that show does happen, like Sean was saying, there will be a disclaimer at the very, very, there will be, it will be the first thing you hear when you log or when you go to download that, that, that episode. It will be a disclaimer. This is what, what we're talking about. And then it is a very, very heavy topic. So in that essence, I went ahead and found another list. <laughs> Surprise! That's a, that's a little bit lighter. Now, a lot of it encompasses a lot of the things that we've already discussed. However, <clears throat> there's other things in here that we can go on sidebars on. Um, so this list, according to everything80s.com, so it's got to be a reputable site, right? Must be. 12 things that made the 80s the greatest decade of all time. Okay, I agree with that part so far. Okay. <laughs> well, number one, they have here the movies, Sean. And, I mean, we've talked about movies at great length. We've taken individual ones. We've done deep dives. We've incorporated other lists of these are the greatest comedies of the 1980s and blah, blah, blah. Uh, they... uh. 
they went ahead and wrote down or they they listed their one, two. Looks like their eight top eight here. Their top eight favorite movies of the 1980s. A lot of these we have talked about. Another you know, a couple of them um never really made the top of any lists. So I'm curious to, to hear what your take on this. Obviously, number one is Ghostbusters. Two is Beverly Hills Cop. Three is Top Gun. Uh, four is Crocodile Dundee. Uh, three is, or I'm sorry, five is Three Men and a Baby. Followed by Gremlins. And rounding out is Batman. Now, Batman because it came out in 1989, a lot of people incorporate that as a 90s movie, but it is very much an 80s movie because it came in in June of 1989. Uh, I remember the opening weekend very well. But Three Men and a Baby, like we've kind of touched on this a little bit in a previous episode, uh, Tom Selleck, Ted Danson, and Steve Gutenberg. Uh, I'm surprised I remembered all three of those, to be honest with you. But... Um, Decent movie, but I don't know. I've never seen it at the top of any greatest movies list, especially of the 1980s. What's, what, what's your take on Three Men and a Baby? Uh, let me get some heat for this. A woman wrote that list. I guarantee you a woman wrote that list. <laughs> uh, well, think about it. You had, you had three of the biggest 80s heartthrobs, you know, Ted Danson, Tom Selleck. I don't know about Steve Gutenberg so much. I mean, he the was comedy good. relief. Yeah, you know, Police Academy, um, Cocoon, uh, you know, he, he was in a number of different movies. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's one of the greatest. Uh, if I was to talk about a baby movie, I mean, back then it probably would have, Look Who's Talking with Christy Alley and John Travolta would have superseded that one. Um, but the others, yeah, I mean, they're pretty much par for the course. Uh, I just watched the original Batman here what last week I think it was. Yeah. And uh I, I forgot how great that movie actually was. Um I mean it was a great movie when I went into it, but after watching it and watching Jack Nicholson and his portrayal of the Joker, I still stand by my statement I said a long time ago, Nicholson was the best Joker in any Batman movie that's ever been put out. Oh, and by the way, F Heath Ledger. Rest in peace. Oh my god, <laughs> rip. <laughs> They, I, as soon as you said rest in peace, I'm like, you got, Hi, Amy. Yeah, you've got to. Um, number two on this list is what, what made the 80s the greatest decade of all time. This one gets its own little chunk here. G.I. Joe apparently has made this list very prominent. Um, their recap here. <clears throat> Obviously, it was created by Hasbro and existed for for decades in larger form. During the Vietnam War, any war-based toys took a massive hit in, in the sales department. It wasn't until 1982 that the 3.75-inch version of the action figures, as opposed to the old 12-inch size, made their debuts and relaunched the entire uh, line. They have G.I. Joe as the greatest toy of the 1980s. Um, and I mean, cartoon. I, I can argue that all day long. We know this. The 3.75-inch toys were specifically designed to compete with the Star Wars figures because the Star Wars figures 
were designed to be 3.75 inches to be able to fit into the vehicles from the Star Wars movies. G.I. Joe took that cue uh, with, you know, their aircraft, with their aircraft carriers, you know, the different uh, toys and whatnot. So from a marketing standpoint, you kind of can't argue with it. But as far as the cartoon goes, you and I have talked about it at great lengths. G.I. Joe wasn't something that I necessarily watched. I thought it was boring. And uh, quite frankly, if the cartoon never existed, it wouldn't have bothered me one way, shape, or form. Yep. Nope, none at all. Um, <clears throat> number three here is obviously the music of the 1980s. And, I mean, we've, we've, we've tackled this a couple of different times in a, different, you know, a number of different ways. Would you say, are we still in agreement that when you think about the overall landscape of the, mu the music of the decade, it came down, at least from my perspective, that's not taking anything away from any other band, any other artist, because Jesus Christ, there's just so many of them. But when I think about the music of the 80s, it still comes down to Michael Jackson and Madonna. Yep. Like those those are the two pillars of this industry. Would you agree? Yeah, those those are the top two. And then after that, you can always follow it up with whoever you want because everyone's going to have such a diverse opinion about it. I yeah. mean, when I think of the 80s, absolutely, it's Michael Jackson, Madonna. Then it'll go to Prince, probably Cyndi Lauper, and then Bruce Springsteen. I mean, that would round out my top five as far as pop culture icons in the music industry of the 80s. And so I'm not there, a Bruce Springsteen fan at all. I know you're not, because I said something uh, a, a week or two ago. Uh, oh, because it was Born in the USA was on my top 10 favorite albums from the 80s, and, you're, and you made a... <laughs> so. Well, you know what? One of the reasons why I think I don't like Bruce while everyone else does... He reminds me of that drunk uncle that gets up on stage during karaoke and thinks that he can sing. Like, especially, like, Santa Claus is coming to town. I hate that song. Yeah, y'all been good this year? <laughs> 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 you know, I can't stand Bruce. <laughs> I could have, <laughs> yeah, I could have done without the, the commentary or the banter with the band during the song. I know what you're saying. It does annoy me, too. But I'm not turning it off. You know what I mean? I just, I'll tune back in when he gets into the chorus of the song, not when he's having a conversation about whether or not Clarence was practicing the saxophone or not. Um, but they broke down year by year of the 80s, the top selling albums followed by the top songs, okay? Right. So the albums, the biggest albums of the 80s, according to this list, 1980 was The Wall by Pink Floyd, 81 High Infidelity by Ario Speedwagon to Asia, self-titled album. Uh, 83 and 84, back-to-back, -back, uh, Thriller, Michael Jackson. 85, your favorite, Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. 86 was Whitney Houston's self-titled album. 87, Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi. 88 was George Michael's Faith album. 89, Bobby Brown with Don't Be Cruel. Now, the year-end Billboard number one songs of the year for the 1980s are as follows, respectively. 1980, Call Me, Blondie. 
81, Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes. Two, eight, uh, 82, Olivia Newton-Johns, Physical. Yep. Uh, 83, Every Breath You Take police. by the Police. Yep. Uh, 84, this song reminds me of my mom. She played this all the time. When Doves Cry by Prince. Prince. Yeah. Um, 86 is the, the one of the most, I'm sorry, 85, one of the most overrated bands that I just cannot stand. Um, Careless Whisper by Wham. Fuck off. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> um, 86, Dion and Friends. That's what friends are for. Um, 87, Walk Like an Egyptian, The Bengals. Yes. Mm-mm-mm. Some Somebody posted a picture of Susanna Hoff uh, over the weekend, what she looks like nowadays. Not bad. Yeah. Age 12. Um, 88, Faith by George Michael, and 89, Look Away by Chicago. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, interesting list. Uh, number four. Of what made the '80s the greatest decade of all time, the mixtape. Ah! We've, <laughs> We've talked about this before. MP3, before Spotify, before any of that, any of that shit. If we cared about somebody, we made them a mixtape, and more often than not, it was you know pirated off the radio with the commercials. With the lead-in, with the outros from the DJ, but that's what made the charm. I made mention a little while ago, I went through a box I have here, found some old cassette tapes. And yes, some of them are my old mixtapes that I ripped off from the radio. Everybody did it. Um, now, you know, everything is digitalized. You can download. There's all kinds of sites. There's YouTube. Uh, but man, oh man, like when you wanted to make an impression, you made the mixtape and I wish kids nowadays still had that capability in the way that we did. Now, you know, the, the next, you know, age group or whatever would download and burn CDs, but that just wasn't the same, was it, Sean? No, um. Man, that could be a money-making opportunity for you and I. What, what do you mean? You, you, you and I, uh, what we can do, we can offer our services. We can make you a mixtape. The, the, the power tripping through the 80s, uh, I don't know. That's my music volume one and two. <laughs> we can make, make mixtapes and sell them to people. Why not? Are we, we could, the DJs? We could be the DJs. We could do our own commercials. Fuck, dude, I'm in. How do you <laughs> make this? Yes. God damn it. Somebody's going to hear this now, and they're going to rip off our idea. Here's the thing. You're not us, and you're not as entertaining as we are. So <laughs> Stay away from our ideas, damn it. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> we could even do Christmas mixtapes. I'm 100% on board. Hell yes, we could. We are in on this. The only song we will not play is Last Christmas by Wham. It's not a thing. No. It is not. It is not in the. No. Don't even ask me. I will shut you down. I will shut you down. (laughs) Quicker than shit, man. 
That song is the worst Christmas song I ever recorded. We'll get to it later on at the end of the year, I have no doubt, because it gets brought up all the time. Um, so, yeah. Fuck Last Christmas and fuck Wham! <laughs> <laughs> all due respect. OMG ripped. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Put in your orders now for the mixtapes because they're going to go fast. <laughs> real, real fast. <laughs> if you act now, you'll get... anyway. Uh, number five is the Walkman. We've talked about the Walkman before. You had one. I had one. If you were, um, if you were a kid in the '80s, you had one. And they, I mean, they evolved from what we had in 1980 to what was available in '89. But you had you you had to have the Walkman with the little headphone and with the little fuzzy ear gimmicks and. Dynamic yeah. bass boost. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. You know, in the first two months of them being released to the public, they sold 50,000 units. 50,000 units. <sighs> Too bad we didn't have uh, stock in that, huh? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. All right. Number five here is hip hop. I'm not a real big hip hop guy, self admittedly, but there there are some songs that came like obviously if they if an artist made waves, they got their name out there. So obviously they came across my radar, and it's not like I just completely shit on the entire genre of music. It just wasn't my thing um, until you know you started getting into, and I know I'm going to get heat for this, but. Like Mama said, "Knock you out," by LL Cool J. When when that song came out, like that was a game changer for me. Just the way it was presented, the music video because it was on MTV. That's how I came across. But then it's really started to open my eyes of all these different artists, musical artists that were these pioneers in hip hop. Run DMC is one that comes to mind. Um, when I say hip hop, Sean, I mean, were you, I know you're more or less a metal guy, but was there anybody in the hip hop genre that, that stuck out to you? I mean, aside from the controversies with NWA and, and I don't mean the wrestling company, I mean, the rap group, <laughs> um, two live crew, th- this type of thing. Well, you gotta... I, I did listen to certain rap. I likened myself to a bit of a b-boy back in the day. You know, I used to like all all different types of uh, music. Uh, Beastie Boys, The Fat Boys, Run DMC. Uh, like you said, LL Cool J, Sir Mix-A-Lot. Uh, I, I listened to a lot of different things. The one thing I always said was, is I like all genres of music. I just didn't like, and I don't know if this will get me heat or not, but dirty rap. Like, I didn't like Luke Skywalker and the Two Live Crew. I didn't like hearing the word bitch used excessively. I didn't like to hear uh, abuse of women, you know, uh, in, in the music, even back then, uh, just because, it, number one, if my dad would have heard it, I would have gotten my ass kicked. But uh, number two, just my own personal preference. Um, I, I didn't care for stuff like that. I mean, I know when we got into the NWA, uh, you know, we had that whole uh, feud between the East Coast and West Coast. Uh, you know, that I, I did go back and I watched straight out of Compton 
And I really did enjoy that movie. But at the same time, uh, I would, I was still iffy on the music. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I, I would get in trouble for listening to certain genres of music. I remember when Ozzy Osbourne came out with Suicide Solution and my parents banned me from ever listening to another Black Sabbath or Ozzy Osbourne album in their house again. And, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. My dad was, uh, it, it was pretty wild because my dad didn't stand on too many, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like po- political positions, I guess. Mm-hmm. But when it came to Ozzy Osbourne, my dad hated Ozzy. Uh, there was nothing I could do to bring an Ozzy album into the house. Was it uh, after the whole bat incident? No, literally, uh, I was watching MTV, and there was a music video for Suicide Solution. That's what it was? Yeah, and uh, just, I mean, it clicked in his head, and I was all done listening to Ozzy. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can relay. I wasn't allowed to listen to ACDC for the longest time because of the Highway to Hell album. Really? And, yeah. And... Uh, you know, because my parents were not overly religious, but they believed in God. And like the the album art had Angus Young with the devil horns coming out, like they made him look like he was the actual devil. And they're like, absolutely fucking not. Are you listening to that? Well, then Who Made Who came out. And because uh, it was the soundtrack for Maximum Overdrive. And we sat as a family and watched Maximum Overdrive. And my mom's like, you know, the music in here is pretty cool. I'm like, it's ACDC. And from that moment, I could listen to Who Made Who, okay? Um, It took me a while to get to actually buy the Highway to Hell album. But uh, Ted Nugent was another one. It was frowned upon to listen to because of the Wango Tango album. His arms became the, the guitars and it freaked freaked my parents out like what the fuck they knew who he was from amboy dudes but now he he, you know which was a 60s band but now he's out on his own doing the whole motor city madman thing like all of a sudden their 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 perception of him changed wasn't allowed to listen to ted nugent i think a lot of it is a lot what what you were saying very sexually overtone music you know well, it got to, and we'll go back to the list earlier, The Walkman. Once The Walkman came out, and you got to figure in 85, I was already like 11, 12 years old. Uh, I pretty much started listening to what I wanted uh, because they couldn't hear what I was listening to. Yeah. Uh, I do remember when my mom come walking in, and it was probably late 80s, early 90s. I went and I bought a VHS tape of Guar live from Antarctica. And then there was also another videotape that I bought called Phallus and Wonderland. Yeah, go ahead and use your imagination on that. <laughs> Phallus and Wonderland, Odorous Urungus, uh, had his phallus cut off, and they were in search of it. And when my mom walked in and saw us watching that, uh, that was no longer allowed on our TV. But I could listen to uh, the cassettes because they couldn't hear what I was listening to. Yeah. So... Maybe that's why Guar became one of my favorite bands because my mom hated them so much. Kind of funny how that works. It's it's almost like we're taking a stance, right? Like yeah. we're being told or forbidden, you can't do this. You can't listen to this. You can't watch this. You can't this, that, or the other thing. Well, as the defiant bone in us starts to take over, like you're not telling me what I can and can't do. 
And then, then it starts to become a game. How can I get away with this? At least from my perspective. I mean, I didn't pull that card very often, but if I was passionate about something, that's the few times that I would push the envelope because I believed in it. And you have to tell me why. Don't tell me just because I said so. I'm going to need a little bit more information for for it to justify to me why I'm why I'm being forbidden from listening to ACDC or watching this particular movie or what, whatever the case may be. So now, and you're right, the Walkman was a game changer because, you know, we could be, Hey, we, what do you listen to? The Beatles? Like, <laughs> but you're really listening to, you know, whoever that you're not supposed to NWA or Guar or what, whatever the, the case may be. Um, the clothes of the 1980s, my friend. Okay, let's talk about the clothes. The clothes weren't so cool back then. I mean, there, there was some things, but I mean, my God, we as men we wore belly shirts and Daisy Duke shorts or the tight, high and tight soccer shorts with knee socks and low low riding tennis shoes. Or me, my thing was pleather pants and parachute pants. I. I had a closet full of those. Um, but the worst thing ever to come out of the 80s were hyper-color T-shirts. <laughs> and you remember those things. Hyper-color T-shirts were almost like a mood ring for your body. Yeah, The hotter your body got, the more the color changed. And if you were a persistent sweater, if you <laughs> sweated bullets... Your armpits were always darker than the rest of your shirt. So, yeah, hypercolor was not so cool. I remember, I can still remember the ads on TV about these things where the, where the kids would put their handprints on each other and their hand, you know, they take their hands off. And, you know, on a green shirt, you have a pink um, handprint, you know. Then, as people actually bought them and wore them to school, well, handprints were starting to show up in places that probably shouldn't have been, especially in the, in in that age group. Uh, and I just it was what it was. I'm trying I'm trying to be careful here, but uh, between that, um, Zubaz st- started to, to become a thing. I know those I were more. Zubaz. Yeah, they were more. They started really becoming prominent more in the early '90s, but like they made their mark in the '80s. When I think of Zubaz, I don't know about you, but the Road Warriors come to mind because they became like a celebrity spokesman for this company. I think they actually bought in and invested in in the company, if I'm not mistaken. I feel like I heard that somewhere, and that's why they they were so prominently featured in all of their ads and stuff like that. Um, leg warmers, leg warmers. <laughs> uh, we talked about Jane Fonda, uh, you know, last week or whatever. You know, with the whole uh, video, the workout videos, Richard Simmons too, uh, to, to to some regard. But leg warmers, bike shorts, the spandex bike shorts. Peg roll uh, your own jeans. Did you ever peg roll your jeans? No, but Jeff did. <laughs> and I'm like, I wouldn't. And he would tease me about it. He's like, everybody's doing it. I'm like, well, every, I was like, everybody looks stupid. I, I don't understand. Why are you pegging your pants? 
Uh, if I wanted something to go tight around my ankles, I'd go buy a pair of fucking jogging pants. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's yeah. The Remember, fluorescent colors too, man. That was what really was the telltale between that and Converse All Stars. Converse. Ah, uh, the the thing that sticks out in my head for some reason is my sister loved Jordash jeans. That was her thing. And then I remembered I always wanted a pair of Z Cabarichis, <laughs> and I I never got those. Um, I mean, you always had those high-end clothes, but a lot of times, like the pleather pants I had, they weren't real pleather, and they, they would peel, <laughs> you know, so you'd have these peeled portions of your pants. Um, and what the, what was the deal back then with sweatbands and headbands? I always, I always had one wristband, uh, one, one wristband on my wrist at school all the time. I don't know why. But everyone else is doing it, so I did too. Got to have that sweatband. And one of the coolest things I, I had, and I've been trying to find one, if anyone has one, reach out to me. Do you remember the Transformers watches? Yes. <laughs> Those things were so badass. It's funny you mentioned that because number seven on this list yeah. is Transformers. Oh, Look at that segue. That was pretty damn good. That was good. That, it was organic, which I yeah. love it. Uh, Transformers, much like G.I. Joe, um, arguably one of the best cartoons and toy lines. You know, you've made mention on previous episodes. The cartoons were essentially a 30-minute commercial uh, for the toy line. Um Transformers would lead to cart to the cartoon movie in 1986 that would traumatize a lot of kids. The movie killed off a lot of beloved characters, including Optimus Prime, as a way to clear out old inventory and then introduce a bunch of new ones for the upcoming toy line. So essentially, they got a 90-minute commercial. Um, the Dinobots is what's what's named here as far as the first big toy line post optimus prime this is where they started losing me when the dinobots started started to come into play what was the uh, oh uh constructicons that's it and uh, you also had the insecticons yeah the it's uh, once the insecticons came, came into play i was out of transformers like you pissed me off with the whole Optimus Prime thing, then you're going to bring in dinosaurs. And I'm not really, I've never really been into the whole dinosaur thing. If I, if I was, I'm sure I would have a better appreciation for the Transformers, but the Insecticons, you lost me. Well, you got to keep in mind at that point in time, they were trying to compete with Voltron. Voltron, you had the, uh, five different lions that you can combine and make one giant robot out of it. So that was essentially the same thing with the Constructicons and the Dinobots and the Insecticons. So you can create larger robots out of the smaller robots. It was just another division of their toy line that they were trying to get out to the public to try to compete with Voltron, who was just blowing them away at that point. I'm going to mention a name from the Transformer line that not a lot of people remember. I remember the toy versus any presence they had on the cartoon. 
Omega Supreme. Omega Supreme is probably one of the more expensive pieces of toys out there. It came with a track, if I remember right. Yes. And the track would also combine with the robot to make the Omega Supreme robot. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think he made a few appearances in the cartoons, but uh, the toy was even bigger. So, Yeah, I a, a lot of people have forgotten about o Omega Supreme. When we talk about Transformers, I always bring that up just to see if they remember and a lot of them don't. And I'm like, I don't remember that dude. Oh. Omega Supreme, wasn't he supposed to be the successor to Optimus Prime? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah, he was the he was the ultimate warrior of the Transformers uh line versus Optimus Prime's Hulk Hogan. You know, he took him out. They brought it, it was supposed to be Omega Supreme that was gonna take over that leadership role, but well, as it as life imitates art, you realize it doesn't really pan out that well, and you got to bring back the original. Yep. I didn't, you know, who knew? All right. Uh, the TV shows, they have broke down here their top 10 of the biggest TV shows of the 1980s. Real quick, um, the Cosby show is at, at number one, obviously. That show was number one for five straight fucking years. It was all about Bill Cosby. Uh, two family ties, three murders she wrote, four 60 minutes. Like, I didn't realize 60 minutes was as big of a deal to where it's going to be on the top 10 list of the biggest TV shows of the 1980s. But I guess, you know, they had a lot of shit to talk about back then, too, that was relevant. You know? Yeah. Kind of like CNN before CNN was a thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, five is Cheers. Six is Dallas. Seven is Dynasty. Um, eight is the Golden Girls, nine Miami Vice, and ten, who's the boss? Must have been a woman wrote that list. I'm telling you. I mean, there's no A team, there's no Magnum PI, there's no MacGyver, there's no Fall Guy. Yeah. Be All off right. with yourself. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight's the breakfast cereals. We've we we've touched on this before too. Dude, I've been thinking since we started getting these snack crates about different foods that have come and gone yeah. in, in the 80s. And breakfast cereal is really prominent in, in that thought process. You want to hear their top 10 of the of the top uh, breakfast cereals? This ought to be interesting. It really is. One is Cookie Crisp. Cookie Crisp back then was badass, dude. Yeah. The, what, they, what they got now, I don't know if it, I mean... I don't know what it is, but they it's not even say, close. No, it's not. Once they got rid of the magician and they brought in the cookie crook, not so good. <laughs> uh, okay, cookie crisp, Pac-Man cereal. Bullshit, that was kicks with marshmallows. That shit sucked. <laughs> C3POs. I think I might have had that a couple times. Yeah, I did. It was Star Wars. Um, ice cream cone cereal. Do you remember these motherfuckers? Yes, I do, and they were amazing. <laughs> oh God, I hadn't thought about that till I just read that. As soon as I read that, I could see, I could see the bowl right in front of me. Um, <laughs> Smurfberry Crunch, Captain Crunch, yeah. Uh, Pro Stars. I remember Pro Stars. Pro what Stars. Pro Stars. Oh, you know what? I think that was the shit that was like King Vitamin, and it featured different sports players on the boxes. I think they were shaped like footballs and soccer balls and shit like that. Yeah, now that you say that, 
it kind of that kind of rings a bell. I feel like Larry Bird may have been on a box of this shit yep. for some reason. Uh, followed by at cereal. That's <laughs> ET, e folks. Uh, Marshmallow Krispies, Mr. T cereal, and S'mores Crunch. Love S'mores Crunch. My God, I love S'mores Crunch. Um, you look like yeah. you're doing research. Well, I'm I'm looking because it's funny because uh, I was kind of going through some different things. Oh my God, Mandarin Orange Slice. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> looking at different eighties eighties uh, foods that were no longer around, and uh, oh my God, TCBY yogurt. I remember those. Yep, bagel bites are still a thing. Quisp cereal. I do remember that. Um. Fruit wrinkles. I don't remember those. Fruit wrinkles? Yeah. Were they like fruit roll-ups? Uh, kind of, but they were like little pieces, like BBs. I oh. think I think we used yeah. to just get the name the off-name brand ones. I think they were called like fruit bites or some shit like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Yeah, I feel um, like that's a thing. Jello pudding pops. Yes. Those things were amazing back then. Game changers. Yes. Loved them. Chocolate, vanilla, or a mixture. Um, yep. 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 And I can still see Bill Cosby with that stupid look on his face after he took a lick. Yep, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to go on to YouTube. <laughs> that needs to go on to Tiki Talk. Um, squeeze it. Remember those juices? Yes, I do. Yep. Um, let's see here. Fruit rolls. Dr. Pepper chewing gum. Remember, it had the liquid in it, like the yes. jewels? Oh. That stuff was awesome. Uh, Mr. T cereal. Big League Chew. The stuff they got now is no comparison to what Big League Chew was back then. Capri Suns. You can still get those in Lunchables. Yeah. Magic Middle Cookies by Keebler. Yes. Yes. A <laughs> hundred times yes. Uh Jolly Rancher Fire Sticks. Do you remember yes, those? Yes, I do. My so, God. Um, so I'm going to skip that one. Skip that one. Rainbow Nerds Candy. They still got Nerds Candy out there, though. They do. Yeah. Um, and then just kind of skip right over. What was that cake that I used to really like? It was like it was a frozen cake, and it had a whole bunch of different layers in it. And they promoted it as like being very high end, something Vinci, something like that. Um, oh, Rianetti, something like that. Something um, like it was something along those lines. I know what you're talking about. Um, God, what the hell was it? Yeah, as soon as you said high end, I was like, yeah, I. Vianetta, Vianetta. Yep. yep. So that's fun. Sidebar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number 10 on this list, Saved by the Bell. The show Saved by the Bell got, gets its own thing here. I'm telling you, it was a girl that wrote this list. It had to be a girl. Saved by the Bell was good to a point. And then when it got to Saved by the Bell, the college years, it sucked. And then I think there was one where they went on like uh, a summer break in like Hawaii or some shit. And that show never ended. And yeah, no, not so much. Uh, okay. Video games. 
No, nothing about those. No, not a, not a no. goddamn thing. But they do have a top ten here. Are you interested? Sure, why not? <laughs> this is based on. Oh, this is the top ten selling video games. Um, I believe they have these. Jesus Christ. Okay. Number one is Super Mario Brothers. Came out in 85. Sold 40.24 million units. 40 million units. Why wouldn't it? Because it came with the system. You're right. Uh, two, Tetris. 30.26 million units. Duck Hunt. Now, see, this is weird to me. Because Duck Hunt was on the same cartridge as Super Mario Brothers, right? Yep. Matter of fact. Was it? Yeah. Was it available on its own? I believe it was, yeah, because Super Mario Brothers was available on its own as well. Okay. Well, Duck Hunt on its own sold 28.31 million units. I have a hard time believing that. Yeah. Super Mario Land came out in 89, 18.14 million units. That was a Game Boy game. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3. 17.28 million units. Super Mario Brothers 2, 7.46 million. Now, put that in in perspective. Super Mario 2 sold 7 million. Super Mario 3, 17 million. They came out in the same year, according to this. Is that true? Well, I, I, I don't know about if they came out in the same year. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3, um, it introduced a whole bunch of different variations in the characters, uh, different suits that you could transform into different characters. So that was the biggest appeal for that. And if I also remember correctly, no, I'm not remembering correctly. Super Mario Brothers, was it three or two? Was in the movie The Wizard. So that probably, I think it was three, wasn't it? I think so, yes. So that probably helped increase sales on Super Mario Brothers as well. Super Mario 3, the the promotional material, the print material, was primarily in yellow, correct? Like, the background was yellow. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one that was in the movie. Because I I, I remember, like, man, there's a lot of fucking yellow. (laughs) All right. uh, Pac-Man. Super Mario Bros. 2 was blue. Yeah. The sky, yeah, the sky back. Um, Pac-Man comes in at number seven. Seven million units sold in 1982. Uh, the Legend of Zelda, 86, 6.51 million units. Number nine, Zelda Two: The Adventure of Link, 4.38 million. Excite Bike and Pitfall, both respectively, come in at, with 4.16 million units. Played the shit out of both of those games. Jeff used to create these elaborate courses on Excitebyte and then have me come in and try to beat his score. Um, That's probably why I remember that game as well as I do, because that was something that he absolutely loved and that we would argue about. Quit making bullshit traps for me to try (laughs) to do. But And Pitfall is obviously a classic. All right. Uh, what the hell is this one? D 
Deregulation. What the hell is deregulation? Well, it's responsible for a huge amount of the pop culture we experienced in the 1980s. Uh, the act of advertising to children, to children was heavily regulated. And of the things that were most pushed down our throats. <laughs> you ready for this one? Yep. G.I. Joe, Transformers, My Little Pony, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Strawberry Shortcake, Mask, Voltron, and She-Ra. Can't argue with it. You really can't when you put it in that perspective. That's my list. Okay. It, uh, definitely some things I disagree with, but at the same time, I does it say who wrote that article? Who wrote that list? Goodbye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know it's everything80s.com. That's the name of the site. Um, go down that far. A little weird that they wouldn't give the author any credit. Um, yeah. Uh, Jamie. That's all they oh. have here. Jamie. Oh, so it's like a Pat situation. Yeah. Yeah. You could go either way here. Uh, I, girl, what's that? It's Pat. <laughs> sex? Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, it just has, hi, Jamie. So, thanks, Jamie. Appreciate your uh, contribution to the show this week. Anyway, I mentioned... Uh, Actually, we're we're gonna table that. That that could go. I mean, we're already over the hour mark here. This could go into a lengthy sidebar. We'll see. It's probably more more apt uh, to turnbuckle time machine because it is wrestling related. But well, oh, are you getting ready to bring up about the CM Punk bullshit? I was going to. I because I said all in and something else, and I'm like. I wonder what Sean's take on the whole CM Punk thing is, because I have an opinion about it. Um, what the hell? I mean, we can spend a couple minutes on it. I mean, hell, our last couple shows have been an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. I, just put, I just put it to you like this. I love my kids. Okay? I loved my kids when they were little. I love them when they became teenagers. Now, this might seem like a sidebar, but it's not. If my kids were to bring kids over to the house, young, getting into things, acting like my kids did when they were little, at the age I am, I can't handle that. I can't, I can't handle littles. CM Punk is a much older man now. He cannot handle the way he used to act in a locker room compared to what the guys are acting like now. They are exact, acting exactly like he did, and he's trying to be the guy to control them, and he can't do it. And, and, and that's, that's the thing. CM Punk is, has reached that age where it's a do-as-I-say-not-a-do-as-I-did situation. And I don't think that... Uh, I, I think... Tony Khan firing or letting CM Punk out of his contract is a loss as far as financials go, 
But I think in the long run, it's going to do nothing to hurt AEW because CM Punk was stifling the creativity in production and in that locker room. Uh, You know how it is when you have someone who is constantly in a bad mood, that bad mood is going to spread and create a situation in the locker room that you don't want to have. You know what I mean? It creates a cancer in the locker room. That's the word I was looking for. creates a cancer. And for me, I can happily say, despite Todd Gilbert going to bat for CM Punk all the time, because uh, I am older and wiser than Todd Gilbert, uh, getting rid of CM Punk was probably one of the best things that Tony Khan could have done for the AEW locker room. These young guys defending CM Punk, they don't know what CM Punk was before the WWF or WWE. So, yeah, that, that's my take on that situation. Good riddance. Goodbye, CM Punk. Go back to the UFC and have two more fights in the next five years. So, He's not going to do that because he's not going to be able to have that kind of quote-unquote perceived control in a UFC locker room. He came into AEW thinking that he was the big fish in the small pond and because he would lend his name to this upstart promotion that he could do and say anything that he wanted without repercussions because Tony Khan essentially, I'm not literally, but for all intents and purposes, was blowing them every time they were in, in public, you know. This is my guy, and he's with AEW. He's all elite. He's CM Punk is all elite. What the fuck does that even mean at at this point? Okay, now, they should have never brought him back after the first locker room incident. They should have been a one-and-done thing. All right, we are are establishing this kind of bullshit is not going to be tolerated, but they brought him back, and what happened at All In, and I feel like that's part of the reason why everything materialized the way that it did, because it happened at that show at Wembley Stadium, because that was such a benchmark day for that company. I respect what they did. I respect the fact that they brought in 81,000 people into Wembley Stadium. That's great. But sidebar, quit fucking calling it the biggest wrestling show of all time, because it, it's not. It's not. And it hasn't been. Okay. For AEW, yes. For Wembley Stadium, yes. Across the board, for the greatest of all or the biggest event of all time in the history of the business, you're categorically fucking wrong. Quit fucking saying it. Okay? CM Punk is a cancer. CM Punk is one of these guys, and I wanted wanted to jump on board with this when I heard he was coming back. His... His very first debut at on Rampage or whatever the fuck show it was that 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 he made his very first appearance. One of the most emotional things that I have ever watched, just from a crowd perspective, because they love that guy. But I see him for what he is. I see him for who he is, and it's a damn shame that it went this way because he could have been a catalyst for AEW doing some real big business because it's not going to be John Moxley. It's not going to be, uh, I mean, MJF right now is about the only thing they, they've got going that's fresh 
and original. Everything else is repackaged to WWE cast-offs. I hate, and I'm sorry. I, I know people. Well, you know, there's the Young Bucks, and there's the the Young Bucks is part of is, is part of what the fucking problem with AEW is. Uh, their mentality. Kenny Omega is another reason. Um, and I know I'm in the minority of this, but you got to look at the big picture here. Um, I feel like Tony Khan did what he had to do. He proved that he had to be a boss instead of being a fanboy, and like I, I respect the fact that this decision was made. Was it his decision? Probably not. But because he's the figurehead of the company, he had to execute it because of what everybody else was saying. You've got to get rid of this guy, or he's going to destroy the company from the inside out. So, see you later, Phil. It was great while you were here, and we'll you know go go do acting or something like that. He's he's okay in heels. You don't see him very much. He's got a killer mullet, so you know I kind of dig that. But I, I before we put the bow on this episode, I just want to say this. Yeah. Uh, Tony Khan. Um, we all know he's a big mark. Has yeah. been ever since he started this. But the fact that he said that he felt his life was in danger. I read uh, that. That uh, well, yeah. I mean, I I, I watched it. Um. To me, that was a cop-out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he, his life was in about as much danger as, you know, me being threatened by Stitches McVeigh, you know, or something on that order. Um, <laughs> you know, fact of the matter is, is uh, Tony Khan was looking for sympathy, and he didn't, he didn't want to get the booze. He wanted to stay in the favor of the fans. And uh, I don't know why Stitch's name was the first name that popped in my head, but it did. Well, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tony Khan still needs to grow a spine. Uh, he said that there was a disciplinary committee. Yeah. That made Who the hell's ever heard of a disciplinary committee? I had never heard of such a thing. Yeah. So Tony Khan, grow a spine. Uh, be a. Be a uh, be a, a, a true locker room leader and an owner and just admit that you fired CM Punk because he was a toxic cancer in your locker room. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Just want, wanted your two cents in on that whole thing because it was pretty topical. We're still hearing the backlash from all that. So um, <clears throat> with that, we have new merchandise over on the online store. And, uh, hey, there's a new Billy Sucks shirt for you. Just just for you and Levi Blue. Ah, uh, Billy. Billy, Billy, Billy. <laughs> Billy boy. So, there's that. There's all kinds of new merchandise over there. Check it out. Cafepress.com forward slash PFC Network. Any show topic ideas, feedback, questions, comments, anything of the sort. Uh, get hit us up over on our Facebook page. Just look for Power Tripping Through the 80s or Klaus to the Heart at gmail.com. With that, go out this week. Be awesome to yourselves and to each other. And we'll see you right back here next Wednesday with a brand new episode of Power Tripping Through the 80s here on the PFC Entertainment Network.